that would be my biggest question to the very intelligent, smart people like Bill Gates who have made statements kind of contrary to that idea. Hmm. What happens to our cow? What happens to this system? What happens to our soils when you pull cows out of the equation? Uh, it's just a very simple, sincere question. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Growing carbon neutral beef and dairy products. Is it possible? A lot of people think it's quite the opposite. But this week, we talk with a farmer who says it's absolutely possible, and he's getting very close to doing it on his own farm. In fact, he might even be there. He'll explain how he's trying to quantify this and the lessons he's learned along the way. We talk with Austin already. He has a large dairy in uh, the Royal City area. He also produces beef. The rest of his family is also involved in tree fruit and other vegetable crops, etc., And he says there's one key to it all that might shock you what it is uh, to make carbon neutral happen in our food system, at least sustainably into the long term. He says that's the important part beyond just being able to do it for a few years. He says the long term is so important, and that's what's important to his family, multi-generational family farm. Again, Austin Allred is his name. We go to Royal City to talk with him here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this is my continuing journey to get to know the real people behind our food produced here in Washington State. Our sponsors are Mana Insurance Group, based here in Washington, based right in the town where I grew up in Linden, and it's a classmate of mine from high school that founded the company, a great guy, and I know several people on his team. They're honest, hardworking people who really care about getting the best result for you and protecting your fina- your family's financial future, not just picking up the pieces when things go wrong. They also have locations in California and Arizona. Also, Dairy Farmers of Washington, and they are always sharing stories like the one that we'll be hearing today from Austin Allred about the amazing things that dairy farms here in Washington State are doing that you may have never heard about. There's a lot that goes on that never makes the headlines per se, and they are trying to change that and, and show what's really happening on our dairy farms here in Washington State. Their website is wadairy.org. Again, the Dairy Farmers of Washington. I'd appreciate you check them out and uh, check out their website, including their virtual farm tour. Why do you do it? What you do? I mean, you put a, any farming is hard, and you're trying to kind of take the you know farming and the way you do it to the next level. What drives you to put in that kind of effort day in and day out? So you're asking why I do not just farming, but why I do farming, like, and trying to kind of put myself out there a little bit. Yeah, and and, and the innovative stuff that you do on your farm. I want to talk about that and get some of those details. But first, I just want to know what what drives that passion that you have for it. Um, I think it. If I was to boil it down, I think I really do not like the misconceptions about farming. Hmm. Um, and I think I understand enough because I am whatever. I'm a millennial, and I've kind of been in that world enough. I grew up in this world yeah. to understand some of the misconceptions, to understand even some of the mistakes we're making. And so I want to try to figure that piece out. I think that's a real passion of mine is to figure the misconceptions out, to educate people, and then 
I mean, I guess before that to improve on them and then to educate people on what we're doing to make it better. So what about the food piece? Like you produce food that people eat. How does that play into it? I mean, that's why I'm a farmer. That's why I love doing what I do. It's not necessarily why I go above and beyond to try to be innovative because I could be a pretty good farmer without putting myself out there and taking all the risk on the new, new and improved version of farming. Um, but there's very few people that get a farm, but there's also just very few people in today's world that get to make a living by producing something, uh, let alone producing, in my opinion, the greatest proteins on the earth. And I think my opinion is pretty well backed up by a lot of people. Explain that because, you know, a lot of people are not so sure about milk and hearing people like hearing from doctors and some nutritionists and stuff saying negative things about milk or dairy products. You're saying you're telling a totally different story. How is that? Yeah, milk and beef, a cow's system, a cow's four stomachs, I believe God created them to take the very good soil products such as grass and even corn is, is in that if we could if we talked about that a little more. To take those products that are the best for the soils, I think they're they're the best for the uh, even the carbon footprint. And and cows if you look at cows as a machine, they're able to convert those into proteins, into energy, into really wholesome, uh, readily available products that we're able to, to utilize in our one-part stomach, if you will. Right. So, um, so I think cows serve a fantastic purpose. If you look at it just in the, in the nutrition sector alone, in keeping us healthy. So talk about, yeah, a little bit more about the, the nutrition element. You talk about such important proteins. What is that in, in milk and beef? Yeah, milk and beef. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a nutritionist, and this is not like my area of expertise. I got a couple of buddies that very much are in this world, and I talk to them a lot about it. I even follow. I wish I could remember. There's a lady who's a nutritionist who is very good. I follow on Instagram and I could, I could look that up here in a sec, but so they're better to really talk about this, yeah. but I do track macros and I don't know how other people do on macros, but I have a buddy who does this, uh, professionally and he helps me. I have a really hard time doing that without animal proteins. And so if you look at macros and trying to eat your, you know, eat, the right amount of food, the right amount of fat, the right amount of, you know, the different nutrients without beef, without milk, without yogurt, without cheese, without uh, even like my snack pack of turkey <laughs> and without um, all those all those products that that we we make, especially that cows make and other animals too. But uh, I don't know if I could do it. Not just because I'm picky, I'm, I'm not that picky, but because I don't know how I could fill the protein void and the fat void without surpassing the other void. You know, it just doesn't fit. Mm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with macros, but anyway, uh, so that's as far as my real yeah. nutrition knowledge goes. Well, that's been my personal experience just within the last year or so. I've been trying to get more healthy lose some weight, stuff like that. And really the key to me doing that is high protein. High fat even. Yeah. 
which is totally backwards from kind of what the establishment has talked about for years, but more and more people are seeing that, realizing that, experiencing that. And I didn't, it sounded interesting to me, but until I experienced it personally, I didn't really get it, you know, but it is true. It's like, those are key parts of my diet. And actually, you know, if I'm taking those out, I'm filling my diet with more empty carb calories that are not benefiting my health and have so much other junk with them yeah when you're having the the proteins we're talking about there is no junk right it's a very short label yeah it's not processed with this that the other thing and i think another part of this conversation because i've watched some of the documentaries that have the professional athletes who are vegan and and that's all fine and dandy and i really am okay with people being vegan but if you want to talk about the most vulnerable, the, the poor in our society and the poor in other societies, that's not a conversation they can have. Yeah. I mean, again, there's a huge part of this conversation with readily available, high protein, good nutrient sources. And, and that's the part to, compi- to combat some of these, you know, fancy vegans saying, well, actually, you can get your macros. Uh I've been to Haiti a few times. Mm. Tell them that, you know, go. F- I mean, I don't yeah. know what they eat, but go get your nuts or whatever. And I, I like nuts, but I'm just saying that's that's a yeah. big part of the conversation. Yeah, it can get a little bit bougie, like, oh, well, you know, everybody should do this. Well, that's great if everybody could afford that. And if those were, and, and if we could yeah. sustainably grow those products to be able to give everybody that option, but I don't see that path forward. So. Yeah. It comes down to the protein and the awesome source of food we get through these bovine, through these nutrient systems, or these ruminant systems. And uh, So you're saying it starts in the field. Like this nutrition element that we're talking about humans and what we put in our gut and what we fuel our bodies with and how we get healthy starts in your fields. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Cows. Bovine. Because the English, the English language is tough when we're talking about cows because cows are mature females right. that have had a baby. So anyway, cattle, cattle, bovine, yeah. uh, just to be technically correct because I'm a <laughs> cattle farmer. So um, yes, very much so. And that is a big part of what I am trying to do is to integrate the systems a little bit better and then tell that story because cattle are the ultimate uh, provider for healthy soils. Mm. Cows are critical to healthy soils. And healthy soils are critical to cows. And so the marriage that they have is the answer that I think we're all looking for when we talk about carbon footprints and being you know, responsible uh, consumers. We can be. So the cycle with cows relying on healthy soil and crops to eat and the crops relying on the cows then to fertilize them is what i'm assuming you're saying the cycle how how does that come to bear on our carbon situation right now and as you know climate change becomes more and more of a focus yeah so we have a a a system called farm tracer that we teamed up with a tech company to, to help us sort this out and so we uh we track the carbon footprint of all of our animals because uh, there is an emission that comes for it with any mm-hmm. mammal uh, who's utilizing energy. 
Um, including humans in a big way. Us. <laughs> For the record, cows don't fart. I'm going to make a t-shirt. I really am. It's going to say cows don't fart because they don't. They burp. But nonetheless, they have an emission. Um, and, and we take that and we also track our, our footprint of our farm, of the, the, crops, the carbon footprint of the crops that we grow. And it's not hard. I mean, to I mean, most all farms are going to be most all row crop farms are going to be, you know, are going to be sequestering carbon. That's what photosynthesis is. And you certainly taking carbon from the atmosphere. The plants use that in their own you photosynthesis. Know, yeah. Yep. Energy producing process, and then that goes. Some of it goes into the soil, right? Correct. And then some of it goes out as feed, which the cows eat comes out the other end and goes into the soil. Yeah. So that's the process that we're trying to improve and we're trying to do. That is called, that, that essentially is what regenerative farming is in a nutshell. There's different mm-hmm. pillars to regenerative farming, but it's adding the biodiversity, adding the relationship with, with cattle to your, to your fields so that you can have a better flow of carbon through your soils and into your soils. And so to get back in Farm Tracer, we're on a very macro and micro scale we're taking every animal that we grow and we're tracking their footprint we are tracking how much feed those animals eat from our farm and we are saying and and we have those numbers and each animal will give you it's on you can scan your barcode when you buy our meat from royal ranch Mm. you scan the barcode and it shows you what the what the emissions from that from that animal was and then it shows you how much pounds of our farm fed our farm-raised crops it ate, and what the sequestration that occurred in the growing of those crops because of our practices. Wow. You combine those, 100% of the time, thus far, that's negative. The, the plants they're growing is sequestering more carbon out of our atmosphere than those animals are emitting in, mm. the, in, you know, in their days of growing up. So if it's negative, what, what's that adding up to, like on an annual basis for your farm? I'm going to look it, uh, I'm gonna look <laughs> it up it on his phone. for a certain animal just because I want to be accurate here. So we have, I mean, we, a royal dairy, we milk 6,000 cows, wow. um, and I have that footprint. Um, we're raising all those young stock here, and then we have probably uh, – 5,000-ish beef animals we're raising. So I'm going to look up one of our animals by its ear tag. I'm looking up 8011, which is just one that always is on the top of my head because I use it. (laughs) Um, This animal ate 10,000 pounds of grass and local forage, essentially stuff that we grew on our farm. Five tons. Five tons. For one animal, which someone who doesn't understand that I mean, this has been the criticism, right? Well, that's, you know, animals are eating all this food that cropland could have been growing vegetables for humans to eat and yada, yada. But I'm guessing what you're about to tell me is going to show a little bit different story. Yeah, we're going to come. Let's come back. That's a really good point. So what I'm saying, so with that, uh, that 10,000, that five tons of food that that animal ate that we grew on our, on our, you know, our regenerative practices, sequestered 4.119 CO2 equivalents per tons equivalent tons tons um, of co2 tons of co2 wow it, that's how much it sequestered out of the year however that animal admittedly emitted 
by our estimation, and this is all through USDA system called Comet. It's a, it's a software system that we use and we input all our stuff. 3.8 tons into the air. Hmm. So it, the, the difference there is a negative 0.3 CO2 equivalent tons. So if you look at just either one of those, you get a really skewed picture. Wow, all, you know, there's four tons or whatever. I'm rounding numbers off. Uh, you know, of sequestration. Well, that's not the real story because the cow emitted some too. And a lot of people just look at that story. Oh, look how much emissions that cow makes. But when you balance that out in this cycle, this system, it's actually going in the right direction. It's going in the right direction. And I think to, to go back to what you, you brought up about, you know, if we grew all our crops, we could eat that. Because, you know, that still doesn't cover that, right? I mean, it, that information there, somebody would simply say, well, get rid of the three tons of emissions and just grow all that crowd and you got a you, done deal, right? You're better off. Yeah, you're good, but you're better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Am I making sense? Well, and that's the part that we've kind of addressed a little bit, but no, that is not a sustainable solution because our soils, those plants that are growing, they're not magically growing strictly from sunlight and water. Mm-hmm. If you go look at this cornfield... It's growing a couple inches a day. It's getting that from somewhere. There, it is. It is cool. Photosynthesis is is magic in my eyes. But it's coming from the soil. Sun and water is obviously a part of the process. Yeah. But material is not created with sun and, and water. You know what I mean. Yeah. So that's coming out of your soil. So, so if you start taking cows out of the equation, yeah. your soils do not have the longevity that they need to, to make this a real solution for long-term. So you're saying, like, it has to come from somewhere. It's coming from the soil. And the concern has been that, well, farming is just depleting the soil of all of these nutrients. Like you're saying, that becomes the crops that gets eaten. Where does it go? But you're saying there's the back end of that, too, where it's what the cows produce that doesn't go down the road for people to eat in the store, that what comes out the other end um, goes and feeds that soil. Correct. Yes. And, and I don't, I, I certainly need to preface this with, I don't want to fault farmers too much about the processes of the past. We all worked what we had to work with. And we fortunately have better understanding now than we did two decades ago. That's mm-hmm. no argument. So with that in mind, there is... A short-term, you know, we can grow good crops by adding nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. We can. I mean, it, it makes good crops for the short term, though, because that plant is not simply nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus when you look at a corn plant. It's not made up of only those three elements. <laughs> yep. And that's where you come into manures and the biodiversity you add with cover crops. And you start doing that, and you start feeding your soils, not just with the mind N, P, and K, because that's what we've been doing, um, and it's been working okay. But when you start talking long-term and generational, which, sidebar, farming, in my, in my recollection, is some of the few industries that are almost all generational. So farmers, for argument's sake have more to lose 
long-term than almost any other industry in this world. So anyway, so they're, they are concerned about it. They are, period. They're try, we're trying to figure it out the best way we can. In the last couple decades, it's not like farming, farmers just kind of forget about that. They just were working the best with what we had. Anyway, as a sidebar. But So you take and you start putting back in your soils all these other pieces that you need including a lot of the nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus that essentially is just coming back through the manure. Mm-hmm. And then all the other compounds that I don't know how to pronounce and that I don't understand very well. But nonetheless, that plant is more than NP and K. Yeah. And so animals, manure, compost, worm castings too, are adding NP and K along with all these other compounds, carbon included, that are that are really essential for long term healthy soils. I think just I think it's relatable, and I'm not a great. I mean, my my cousins and my brothers, they're the ones who grow the crops. I'm I'm not a great agronomist, if you will. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they very much look at when they get their nutrient analysis from their, from their soils, just like I get a nutrient nutrient analysis for my feed that I'm feeding my cows, they get that same similar nutrient analysis for their soils that are essentially feeding their plants. When they look at that, they're going to look at, I'm going to look at protein and fiber and starch and energy. They're going to look at nitrogen, some of the fertility numbers, but then they're going to look at carbon. And when they see a carbon number that's high, they will almost, always see a greater yield. Um, one and a half percent carbon in their soils is good. Two and a half, you can expect 10% better yield. And so basically, if we sequester this carbon, which we have too much of in our atmosphere, and get it back into our soils, not only are we helping the atmosphere, but we're probably able to feed more people with the same amount of... A hundred percent. I don't think there's any soil. argument against that. Carbon in soils is better for soils creates more yield on those acres yeah it's one of those cool situations where it's like mutually beneficial it's like you you do something good for the environment the concern often is well it's going to cost a lot or it's going to cause some other you know negative or unintended consequence this is like perfectly balanced as far as beneficial on both sides it sounds like yeah and and if you start looking at it i mean God set the system up right. And you go back to higher yields just to keep, keep the flow going. Higher yields are going to, in turn, sequester more carbon. You know what I mean? So it is a, it's a full circle. And, and a virtuous as, cycle versus a vicious cycle. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how good articulate people would pronounce it. And that's good. <laughs> that's why you're on that side of the seat. You're too hard on yourself. You mentioned worm castings mm-hmm. a minute ago. You are kind of a worm farmer too, on top of being a cattle farmer, right? Yeah. Explain what you do. I've, you know, looked at the system and learned quite a bit about it in the past, but explain what's the latest with what you guys are doing with worms and wood chips and water and manure and how those all work together. Yeah, so I think there's an there's a conversation similar to this one that we're having about carbon on water, right? I mean that's another huge element to long-term success of our earth and our, you know, what, what's going on, our growing crops, our feeding our people and everything else. So 
Um, water's critical, just like soil's critical, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So uh, we have a water filtration system here so that we can recycle all the water that we use on our farm. Um, it's called a biofilter. And so we take all the water that we've used, including the cow's urine, um, we collect all of it we can. And that's most of it. We, we collect most of our cow's urine and we collect most of the all the water that Mm -hmm. we use to clean our systems and to clean things out. Um, We collect that. And then we also collect all the rainwater that, that touches our, our footprint here. Mm -hmm. There's not some magical drain that goes (laughs) somewhere. We are in charge of all that. So long story short, we collect all that. We use a couple mechanical separators to try to pull out the most fibrous, the most solids we can from that. Well, that's good organic material for soil, right? That's all, that's all what we turn into compost. Mm-hmm. Great for soil. But then we're left with a dirty water, which is also good for soil. I mean, green water is good for soil. It, it, it can be used much like compost, but it's not as economical to get it there. And in the meantime, getting it there, you do have a lot of methane being released. And it's just, it's not a perfect system. So we take that water one step further. And we go into a biofilter, which is, in our case, eight acres of worm beds that have sprinklers sitting on top of them, where this dirty water comes out. Eight acres. That's eight, a big eight area. Eight acres of worms. It is a big area. So we come out, dirty green water comes out that's been contaminated on our farm. And when I say contaminated, I mean, let's be real. It's, it's manure. It's not. Right. It's not. It's, it's been around cow poop. Yeah. I just yeah. want to make that clear. It's not like some awful dangerous chemical yeah yeah so but anyway it's it's been contaminated we'll set that water we'll come out those sprinklers and it'll settle through about three and a half feet of wood chips that have worms within them millions of worms and then a a layer of rocks and then we'll collect it off the bottom uh, much cleaner we can then irrigate with it most of it what we do with most of that water is we reuse it so mm. the water we clean, the ma- vast majority of the water we use to clean our cow pens and our systems is reuse water. It's water that we've already used. Some of it was urine even. I mean, it, it, it mm-hmm. is all reuse water. The only potable water we use is what the FDA requires us to use in the parlor where we actually mm-hmm. make the milk. Yep. We feed the water the cows drink is potable, although we've already used that once to cool our milk a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then our baby calves obviously get clean water. And then when we wash the, ba- the baby's uh, bottles, we use potable water. Other than that, everything on our farm is reuse water. Um, so long story. That's got to reduce I'm, I'm your, kinda, no, that's got to reduce your water consumption oh, of course massively. This, this other dialogue that dairies and cows are taking all our water yeah, cows drink a lot of water, but they give us a lot of milk. They upcycle that water yeah. along with other systems in their rumen. And then most of the urine we're collecting. So that argument loses legs really pretty fast. Uh, but all the water we are using, we're reusing. 90% of the water we use here is reused water. Um, and that filtration system is, is pulling the nutrients out of that water and it's putting it into those wood chips. And then the worms, who are a big part of that process of the filtration, are then 
digesting that those nutrients, digesting that system. I mean, there's millions of worms in there, and they're pooping out worm poop or worm castings, mm-hmm. and we are then harvesting that, and that's going all to soils too to help biodiversify the soils, to help keep healthy soils for the long term. Um, so again, it's just another example of using the natural systems, God's creation in a duplicated form, uh, condensed, of course, because yeah. we don't need potable water. But you think about the, you know, how we pull water out from our wells. It's been through layers of earth. Worms, that's what worms' digestive system is good for, is digesting food, pooping it out. And once a worm poops it out, it is gold for soil. It's gold for plants. <laughs> I've heard that these worm castings are incredibly healthy for soil. Lots of carbon, lots of good nutrients. Just makes great, you know, rich beds for growing more food. It does. Yeah. So where do you use most of those? Or do, do other people then take those? Because I know like what you do with compost cow manure worm castings and whatnot that helps support a lot of organic like vegetable farming and other things like that around here right yeah so our compost certainly we use most of that on our own farm but uh, a lot of that goes to neighboring farms too Hmm. Um, the worm castings we use some of that on our orchards uh, but the people who have more value in worm castings than even we do for like some of our row crops are people who have greenhouses, marijuana farmers. Um, and I guess let me, let me rephrase that a little bit because um, part of this conversation is just the availability of worm castings historically mm. has not been there. So the people who could pay the most for the, the small limited supply of, of worm castings was your greenhouses was your marijuana farmers and some of those the high dollar stuff high dollar stuff where crops cash crops where you have one acre that's making a lot of money versus around here i mean one acre is a couple hundred bucks at the end of the year so you Mm -hmm. anyway i think that you get that so this system itself has already if i remember right i mean we've almost doubled the supply of worm castings in the nation wow so just from what you do here on your farm yeah, I need to follow up with that, but it's it's substantial. Wow. So all of a sudden, we have way more worm castings to deal with these days because of this water filtration system. So already from in the last two years, we went from marking that pretty much all to California into local you know, marijuana farmers and some greenhouses to this year will be the first year where it's almost all going to orchard, vineyard, supply companies. So already we're seeing that supply being able to feed, you know, more outlets yeah. with this awesome, awesome plant and soil amendment, worm castings versus what it could before. Cause simply we didn't have it. Yeah. You take animals out of this whole system, the cows and the worms too, but you know, a lot of people don't think about them cause they're mostly beneath our feet. You take those out of the system. What keeps that loop going? And that's my because it's almost a cl- yeah closed system. What what drives that? And it sounds like it's the cows. That's cattle, yeah. cattle. There, to there be the bovine, the bovine. 
Uh, that would be my biggest question to the very intelligent, smart people like Bill Gates who have made statements kind of contrary to that idea. Hmm. What happens to our cow? What happens to this system? What happens to our soils when you pull cows out of the equation? Uh, it's just a very simple, sincere question that, I, that I've put a lot of time and thought into. And it always comes back to cows are critical to a sustainable system, food system. Hmm. And that's aside from the nutrient, the clear nutrient benefits that we started with. So with all this carbon neutral, carbon tracking stuff that you're doing, what's the future of that? Where are you trying to get to with that? Um, yeah, I mean, right now we're just focusing on our farm and what we have, what we can do with that and how we can improve our systems with that. But in the, we're hoping to be able to offer that to other farms as kind of a, a you know, a, a system that we've come up with that works. Um, so we're hoping to be able to share that with others and to take Farm Tracer even uh, to other farms to be able to say, hey, here it is. And what Farm Tracer is, it's just offering complete transparency to the consumer. It's really like making a Facebook for every animal mm. and for every block and for every acre that you're growing your food on. And then when you're buying that food, you're scanning that barcode. It's a QR code. And you're pulling up that Facebook for that animal, that block, or that acre of food you're eating and saying, okay, what are the inputs? What are the outputs? What's the footprint? Let me see the transparency. Because I think, we, I think we're going we're gonna to get farther and farther away from some of these you know, GMO-free even, organic, all those things have good implications. But to me, complete transparency is the, the future. Where are we yeah. at? What is the story? Yeah. Technology's there. We can tell the whole story. We don't, I think we're getting away from this, this very popular marketing idea that we only have 10 seconds for the consumer's eyes and we have to have everything determined. You know, you have to sell yeah. everything. In that. I, that's not how younger people are eating. And I think technology is such that we are able to, you know, get past that 10 seconds and say, hey, we know we got 35 seconds <laughs> or whatever. People want, uh, yeah, maybe the pendulum is swinging where people want to start digging deeper. They yeah. don't want just the 10 second soundbite. And I think, I mean, this is a good a podcast, right? Yeah. Why are podcasts so popular? Because people want more depth than that. Yeah. And I think the technology offers it these days too. Yeah. Because there's no reason not to. I mean... It is complicated. It costs a lot of money, and it's hard. But at the end of the day, we can do it without crazy, you know, improvements. So what is your farm's carbon footprint? I mean, are, are you able to be carbon neutral? Yeah. Are you able to be carbon negative? Are you there yet? Can you get there? What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can get there. And are we there yet? We haven't. Right now... I probably can't say that in a substantiated way mm -hmm. because right now we're just breaking it down to per animal. Right. Um, but the, the, the very short answer to can we get there is a resounding hell yes. It's, I mean, I have no doubt. Are we there right now? I think so. Um, can we You're just working on tracking it to be able to show and verify for yourself as well that well, we that's verify, actually happening. Right now we're verifying it on a, a per animal basis. Right. But to say that on our farm, because when you, when you say our farm, I mean, I'm, I'm referencing my dad's farm. Who He grows 5,000 acres of cherries, apples, and mm. row crops, all that goes into that, the dairy farm, the beef farm. So t 
tying that all in to, to say that I have this macro footprint, I could do the numbers and probably not that much time and, and give you an idea, but that's not really where we're at yet. Yeah, we could be, but mostly we're focusing on like a per animal basis and, and sharing that on a per animal basis. So for the consumer's sake, for primarily. the consumer's sake, yeah. so that you can know. And I think most people don't even know that's possible that, you know, you could buy a piece of food, whatever it is, and be able to know that much about how it was raised and the impact that it had. Yeah, it's, it's very possible. I mean, a seafood, it's actually fairly popular. I think that that idea, I mean, I think seafood in general has a better tracking system. Mm-hmm. I know, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's possible. We're doing it. And I think without crazy improvements, it can be done on a large, large scale. So what's what does the future look like? Uh, I think that's what the future, I think the future looks like that we can have a transparent food system. Um, and again, I don't want to give this idea that the food system historically is trying not to be transparent because I don't think that's super accurate, but technology is such now, um, systems are in place now, even just from a, from a very macro, like food safety, you know, our government is very much concerned about figuring this out. If we think about like a mad cow deal and trying to trace that and have like a system that's traceable, they're very much concerned about that, and they're they're putting tons of resources into those types of things for all of our system. We, we talk about E. coli and organic spinach, all those things. You need to be able to get to the, the source and fix the problem. Um, so, I guess I'm saying that's a more of a macro, yeah, you know, pursuit right now. But on a micro pursuit, there's no reason to take that to the next level. Use the technology at our fingertips and share it all. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing all the stuff that you're doing here, but I think more importantly, thanks for all the energy that you're putting into this stuff that by rights, I guess someone could argue, you don't have to be doing all of this. I think you probably see it a different way that long-term you do have to be doing this. That's the sense I'm getting anyway. Uh, yeah. Like I it's mean, the right thing to it, do. It is. It is. And I think I'm, I am energized by doing this. It takes a lot of energy, but it's what energizes me and I'm excited to be doing it. And I think long-term it is what we need to be doing um but i don't want to take away from it's freaking hard yeah there's no way around it (laughs) change is hard i don't know that's just kind of going on in my personal for the last couple days and just like holy hell improving changing is hard it doesn't matter what you're doing we're all in that same boat whether you're doing what i'm trying to do whether you're just trying to memorize a Bible verse. I don't know. It all is hard <laughs> and it all takes effort and it all, yeah, anyway, yeah. we can all whine about our stresses, but we all have them and we all just need to try to be better. And, and I think have a little grace for those around us who are trying to be better themselves. Yeah. But well, thanks for taking the time out of, I'm sure a very busy schedule to, to fill us in on what you're up to and, and all the things you're doing. Well, thanks for doing what you're doing. Cause this is a big part of what we got to do to be able to get people more comfortable and kind of get that story out there. A cows don't cows are a part of the solution, not the problem. And in America, we have a fantastic food system that we're all trying to improve. You know, I'll I'll close with, and this might be more common knowledge than I think it is, but the American citizen walks out of the grocery store 
with more money in their pocket than any citizen in the in the world. Mm. And the American food system is the safest food system, large-scale yeah. food system in the world. Yeah, yeah so we just, hear so much about how it's broken, and certainly there are imperfections in the system and areas where you could say it's broken. But to look at the whole thing, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, right? It's an amazing system. We need to improve some things. Technology is such now that we can improve those things. We can have tra- more transparency and more traceability. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're getting there. But just let that sink in a little bit. You live in a country, if you live in America, and in most, most good, where you have more money left over after you buy your, your essential food, and you have the safest food system in the world. And that's what we've created. It's amazing. We've got there. So now let's make some improvements and get where now our, our bovine and our food system is actually banking the carbon out of the atmosphere into the soils and solving that problem too. And it can. I really believe it can. So anyway, thanks for telling that story because that's a big part of what we've got to do. Tell the story. Get some resources to help us get there. Because yeah. anyway, I'm rambling at this point, but farming does not pay. You know, commodity prices don't pay for all this increase, all this progress. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, the commodity system is such, again, you're walking out of the store with more money in your pocket after you buy your food. That's, that's not magic. I mean, <laughs> it's an incredibly efficient system. And the fact of the matter is farms are getting bigger because you can't afford not to. Mm. So thanks for what you're doing. It's a big part of what we got to be doing is telling this story because it it won't happen without it. Thanks for having me. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 